At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying his word together. Today, we invite you to tune in for our current series, Revealed, stories with purpose as we study the parables of Jesus, reading stories with the power to reveal God's truth in our lives. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you for inviting us here to worship you today. We thank you that you have called us here to proclaim the name of your son, Jesus. It's a privilege to do that, and we do it with joy in our hearts. God, we thank you that we have your word that we turn to now as it leads us and guides us and shepherds us and moves and changes our hearts and our minds and hopefully our lives. And yet, God, we acknowledge that we live in a world that seems chaotic at the moment. There's so many things that play. There's so many uh, things that are distracting us and taking our attention off of the significance and the centrality of your word. God, would you capture our minds this morning? As we open your word, God, would you give us eyes to see the truth that's found on its pages? We pray that you would give us ears to hear this truth and then the courage that it's going to take for us to walk out this truth in the week ahead. And we ask this through the power of your Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you guys are anything like me, uh, I am missing me some professional sports right about now. Amen. All right. So, if you are a... uh, NBA fan, right now would be about the time to be in the kind of the depths of the playoffs. The NBA Finals would be upon us. How many NBA fans missing NBA Finals? Yeah, that's what happened in the first service too. We had like one guy. Okay, then uh, next up would be the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs. This is hockey town, is it not? All right. Well, good, because you're missing that too. And it's the sights and the sounds and the smells of when we go to see our Detroit Tigers. We miss that aspect of being able to enjoy professional sports in our lives. Now, whatever the sport it is that you're missing, I'm going to suggest that there's actually something more significant than sort of casual fandom when we're talking about our our sports. I believe that what we miss is that opportunity that we have to cheer for the underdog. To enter into the story of a surprise, something we don't see coming, something that has this massive spin, turn, roll, reversal, and so on. I think that's why many of us really missed March Madness this year. That opportunity to to watch a number 16 seed from a school that most of us have never heard of knock off a powerhouse. I think that's also why many of us still talk to this day about Maglio Ordonez and the home run that sent the 2006 Tigers to the World Series. The year before, they were in last. The next year, they're going to the World Series. And I'm going to hurt some people's feelings right now. Some of you will like this. But I think it's also why Sparty fans will, in fact, embrace that play that gave us the legendary phrase, trouble with the snap. You guys remember that play? Massive role reversal, final play of the game, 
It's that dramatic change that we get when we watch and enter into the sports world. Many of us are struggling with the change that we see in our culture, but we take great joy when we see significant change on a football field or on a baseball diamond. And perhaps that's one of the reasons why this series, when we're looking at the parables of Jesus, resonates so deeply with us. Because what happens typically in a parable is you have this teaching, and then at the end, Jesus twists the story. There's a significant turn at the end of the parables in Jesus' teaching. And so this morning, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at the final parable that is presented in Luke's gospel. And it's like the other parables in this revealed series, that what Jesus does is he kind of says, yeah, I see the way the world is today, and I'm offering you, and I'm teaching you something that is completely upside down. It looks completely different. It is a turn, if you will. So, let me encourage you to grab your Bible, your mobile device. We're going to be reading God's Word here in just a moment. I want to ask you to go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 16. We will be reading from verse 19 down. Luke 16, verse 19 down. The caption is the rich man and Lazarus. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple. He was wearing fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what, what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his wounds. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. And the rich man had also died and was buried in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water so it will cool my tongue because I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, child, remember that you in your lifetime received good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you, you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And then he said, I beg you, Father, to send to my father's house because I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, Neither will, be, will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Power-packed story to be sure. Once again, the religious guys, the Pharisees, the strict law keepers, they are the men who Jesus is speaking to in this context. 
Like all the parables that we've been looking at during this revealed series, there is that story that connects with the original audience, but there is also a timeless truth embedded in it that as we read it some 2,000 years later, it has impact and can have significant change in our lives as we hear it and as we engage with it. So, let's look at the big picture of what it is that we just read. What we just saw was that there was a classic drama. It's a classic drama, really, with two primary acts. And then at the end of those two acts is a significant, life-changing conclusion. So, the question is, did you guys catch the two locations, the two different acts? Did you pick those up? The first act took place here in our world. It's that earthly place where you experience fine food and the best clothing that money can buy and the best of everything. And then there's the second act, and that takes place in the afterlife. That takes place in heaven and in hell. Now, there are two primary characters that we're engaging with. There's the man simply known as the rich man, and then there's the poor man who is actually given a name. His name is Lazarus. Again, he is poor. Now, what we know from that text is that the rich man's life is one of luxurious living. He has all the food he could want. He has all the food he could enjoy in the moment. Whatever he wants, whenever he wants it, that's what he gets to experience. The clothes he wears are the finest. He has everything that he needs in this world. He has not a care. But just outside of the rich man's compound, is another man. He is a broken man. We know this because the text says that he was laid at the gate. He didn't walk there. He didn't run there. He was laid at the gate. He is a broken man. He's also a sick man. The text says he has sores covering his entire body, and he is frail. Part of the reason he's frail is because he doesn't have any food. He does not have a meal to eat. In fact, he is so hungry that he is grateful for anything that would fall off the rich man's table. Anything that would come his way is what he would enjoy. So hear the text again. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day. Are you feeling the story? Are you feeling the sense of luxury and And everything this man has to offer, it's there. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus. Enter into this man's story. He's covered with sores. He desired to be fed from scraps. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. Now remember, Jesus is dealing with religious people. That's who he's communicating with. And what he's doing is he's helping them see that they have confidence in their law-keeping ability in themselves and what they have earned because they were legalists. They were proud of their good works. They were proud of their religious resume. They were proud of themselves and all they had accomplished. So let me ask you, if you guys remember last week, I know it was a long time ago, but last week we looked at two words, 
And Jesus, what he emphasized in the parable last week, is going to develop this a little more fully in this week. The two words, how many of you remember them? Who had it? Pride and humility. Well done, Elaine. The pride is found in the works and their law-keeping nature. They have pride in themselves and what they have accomplished in their religious stuff. And Jesus set that in contrast to the humility of the sinner who would come with empty, open hands. They bring nothing. Today's parable kind of develops that idea a little bit more fully. In the life and ultimately in the death, we learn two very significant truths. So let's evaluate these guys a little bit more fully. The rich man, he's self-indulgent. He has everything he wants. He enjoys everything he needs. He's self-reliant. He's full of himself and he's full of his excess. He's got it all. Conversely, there's a poor man. The guy's in rough shape. I encourage you to enter into his story, to feel it when he has a sore from head to toe. Feel that. Feel the hunger in his belly. He's starving. And he has no real friends. The animals are who care for him. Jesus tells the story with a fair amount of detail so that you and I can, in fact, enter into the contrast of leisure and luxury on one side and struggle on the other side. It's real. He wants us to feel it, to experience it. That's why he tells it as a parable. Now, once this is established... Jesus then moves quickly from our world and our experiences, things that we can connect with, to the next world. Let's pick up the story at verse 22. That's when the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, in torment. He lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Please send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water. Cool my tongue. I'm in anguish amidst the flame. But Abraham said, child, remember that you in your lifetime received the good things, and Lazarus in like manner received the bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. Besides all this, between us, there's a great chasm. It's fixed, it's set, and in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able to do so, and none may cross from here from there, excuse me, to us. So both men have died and suddenly their situations have done what? Everything switched. Everything is turned upside down. The poor man, Lazarus, has passed, passed with little earthly notice. We're given no details. Most scholars believe that when an individual like this would pass away, his body would simply be taken to a common grave where other beggars went to rest in their physical bodies common grave. There was no respect given. Well, the rich man, culture would suggest to us, was likely given a proper burial, and perhaps even he was entombed in the family's wealthy mausoleum. 
That's the end of their physical bodies, and that's where everything shifts, everything changes. Because the poor man, we are told in our text, is carried by the angels to Abraham's side. Quick summary for us. The residence of Lazarus in this moment is now in heaven, and he is alongside the father of our faith, Abraham. And the eternal home is of the rich man is somewhere else. It's in Hades. It's a place of torment. Everything has been reversed. The underdog story is in full effect. But this leads us with an obvious question, doesn't it? I mean, really, when you're reading this story, you're going, okay, wait a second, what happened? I know they died, but like what really happened? What's the significance of why this guy goes on this path and this guy goes on a different path? What is the difference? One word, belief. Belief. That gives us our first truth today. Our final destiny is the result of what we believe. Where we spend eternity is, in fact, the result of what you and I believe. So if, like our rich man, Our foundation is built upon the stuff that we accumulate, the things that we enjoy in this world, our middle-class lifestyle. If that's the foundation upon which we are, are resting in for peace and comfort and joy, I've got bad news for you, it will not hold. It will not hold. But if we, If we are like Lazarus and have faith that help will come, help will come in the form of God's grace, that's what will lead us home. That's what will lead us home. This is why Jesus said in one of his more famous sermons, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. That means that our eternal home, your eternal home and my eternal home, rests upon what we believe. And so the historic Christian faith professes Jesus Christ as Lord. The historic Christian faith is rooted in a man who was born of a virgin. The historic Christian faith is rooted in the fact that Jesus, this man who was born of a virgin, lived a sinless perfect life in our world, right here on earth. And while he was here, he taught us how you and I, his followers, should live. That's Jesus. And Jesus is the one who ultimately sacrificed that life on a cross so that you and I might have and experience life but he didn't just die on a cross. He was raised to life once again. These are the core doctrine of the Christian faith. I want you to know I stand before you today to acknowledge that they are critical to everyone who professes to be a believer. Everyone who professes to be a Christian. Now that we have that established, I want to add a little twist. Faith is more than simply an intellectual agreement. 
Faith is putting our belief into action. Faith is living out what we believe. Faith is following the teachings and the life of Jesus, who is the Christ. Now, church family, you'll often hear me stand on this stage, and I will use a phrase. It's a two-word phrase. It's not a phrase that is often used in our culture. Oftentimes, people in our world would say that we are what? We are Christians, right? I find that term to be a little vague. It means a lot of things to a lot of different people. So what I typically do when I'm preaching and when I'm teaching, what I refer to us as the people of God as Christ followers. I'm not saying Christian is wrong, but I am saying that I think Christ followers is a more accurate and helpful term because what it means is that we believe in Jesus Christ and we then follow His life and his teachings with our life. We are Christ followers, and we seek to live out the life of Jesus. Our daily lives are, in fact, and should be the outpouring of what we believe. This is why both our doctrine and our personal holiness matter. I'm going to say that again. This is why our doctrine and our holiness actually matter. Because that's faith. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. Now let's return to our parable. I want us to hear and engage with the heart cry of the rich man. In verse 27, he says this, Then I beg you, Father Abraham, to send him to my father's house. Send Lazarus to my father's house because I have five brothers. And I don't want them to experience what I'm experiencing. He says, so that he may warn them lest they come to this place, to this place of torment. You see, the rich man has come to realize that his eternity is fixed. It is not changing. It's awful. It is a bad place. And he wants to warn his family members. So he pleads with Abraham, please, I beg you, send Lazarus to warn them. Send the peasant guy. Send the broken guy. Even in this, it's ironic. There's no dignity from the rich man towards the poor man. Send him to do that thing. Help me out. Then we read Abraham's response in verse 29. It's pretty simple. It's very simple and yet it is loaded and it is significant for you and for me. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear. When Jesus uses the phrase Moses and the prophets... What he is ultimately saying is his God has already given them his word. He's already communicated the truth of the Old Testament. All those stories, all that history, it's been presented to them. They know. They've heard about Moses. They've heard about the prophets. If they want to avoid this torment, what they need to do is to believe and live the truth of the Scriptures. Church family, that's our second truth today, that revelation has been given 
to direct us. God's word has been given to us in the form of the scriptures to guide us and to lead us. You see, now, while Jesus is speaking this in the context of those religious leaders, they understood the significance of that. But it should guide them and lead them. And as we read this text some 2,000 years later, the fact of the matter is we have the Scriptures. We have the truth that's found in the Old Testament. And that Old Testament, what it does is it points to the one who would come. It prophesies of the coming Messiah. That's what we find in the Old Testament. Then when you get to the New Testament, what we read is about the Messiah who did come, who fulfills all the stuff of the Old Testament. That's what we see in Jesus. The Old Testament points to Him. And the New Testament explains why He's the fulfillment of all that stuff. Church family, that's why we place such a high value on the Word of God. Because as we enter into it, being led by the Holy Spirit, the Bible can and will. It can and will direct our path. It can and will encourage us. It can challenge us. It can rebuke us. And it can guide our very lives. That's what it's for. This truth is one of the reasons I love the second question in the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Now, some of you might say, well, I don't understand the significance of a catechism. It basically is a summary of doctrine of why we believe what we believe. And I love the question that is captured in number two. Here's what it asks. It says, what rule has God given to direct us? What rule has God provided for you and me to glorify and to enjoy God? Here's the answer. The Word of God. The Word of God which is contained in the Scriptures of the Old and the New Testaments is the only rule, the only one, to direct us on how you and I may glorify and may enjoy Him. This is why we teach and preach the Word of God every Sunday. This is why our kids' ministry is rooted on the foundation of the gospel found where? In the Scriptures. That's why our student ministries is founded on the Word of God. This is why our group's ministry digs in and engages with the Word of God. This is why our special needs ministry focuses on Bible teaching and the Word of God. Because the Word of God can mold us and shape us. It can mold the way we think. That's how it impacts our head. It can mold and shape the way we believe. That's how it engages and messes with our heart. And it can mold and shape the way we live with our hands. It is a head, heart, and hands engagement because real, genuine, authentic, Christ-centered faith actually obeys God's Word. And now most of us here this morning, you're the faithful. You're here. Most of you would probably say, well, yeah, Pastor, I get that. I, I don't have anything to disagree with what you've said. I believe in the Word of God. I'm there. 
I love that. I love that the Word is what we're centering our lives on. See, I agree with the teachings of Jesus that are found in that parable. I'm there. I'm with you. I agree with what you've said intellectually. Well, church, as we close, I want to turn the intensity up a notch or two. What will you do with the truth that God has revealed? What will you do with the truth that God has revealed in His Word? Listen to the final two verses of this text. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And Abraham says to him, If they did not hear Moses and the prophets, if they do not hear the truth that's found in the Scriptures, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. If they do not believe the truth of God's word, it is not going to happen. Church, you and I, we have the words of eternal life. The question is, what will we do with them? Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together this week. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and to get you connected to the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org forward slash connect to introduce yourself today.